why did you decide to do an MBA? You have to think about the KPIs of your life every now and then. So early on in your career, it's very easy to just go after when you don't know anything else. You're like, oh, I'll just maximize dollars. I'll maximize this, that, right? But over time, those KPIs plateau out. You finished your MBA, you're joining Climate Tech Investing. How did that happen? To me, the depth part came sort of naturally given my training and my experience. And the breadth part is what I was cultivating towards the time. So if you could go back in time, what would you change about your career? So I think I've made the case here that I'm extremely lucky on the personal side of things, like to have a family that has supported every whimsical decision I've made. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Careers Not Ladders podcast, where we talk about unique paths of professional success and growth. And our guest today is Amrit Chalan. I have a formal bio of Amrit and an informal bio based on uh, me knowing him for three years. So let's start with the formal bio. Amrit is a climate tech investor focusing on early stage companies across the decarbonization value chain. Prior to his current role, he held positions of increasing responsibility in developing and commercializing low carbon technology portfolios in the energy industry. He's a chemical engineer by training and holds an MBA from Harvard Business School, MS and PhD from MIT, and BS from IIT Bombay in India. So, Amrit, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you for having me, Gaurav. It's a pleasure to meet again. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah. So, obviously, I talked about like I have known Amrit on a personal level too. And two of which were at Harvard Business School. It's a place where they promote being true to self and vulnerable. And here's what I figured about Amrit. He is incredibly passionate about decarbonization and other climate tech initiatives. And you can see him talking about him for hours. He has been very successful, not just professionally, but personally too. He is a proud husband and a father, and he comes across as very intelligent, funny, and yet humble. And I tell you, that's very rare. So let's get into the show. And here's the first thing I'm curious about. Um, As you know, we are both from India, and I know about IITs. You have been to IIT, and almost all of the world knows about IIT and especially IIT Bombay. And uh, one thing we know about when we are coming from like India, uh, we say that you go to IIT, you're done. You get the first job, it's a high paying job. You keep building on your career, keep climbing ladders. And lots of IIT graduates never get another degree. Yet you have masters and a PhD and then you topped it with an MBA. What was going on? Like what was the mindset? You mentioned being familiar with the sort of system, right? How we, how we are trained. So I think early on, I have to admit, I'm not a chemical engineer by choice. It was really going through the process in India. So going through that process in India, so I was very much, a, you know, I have to get into the IITs and that's it. Then that sets you on a path to, to sort of future career success, right? So chemical engineering was just something that happened to me. I didn't necessarily choose it. But what that led me down was uh, especially the IITs it led me to develop a deep interest in the energy sector right so just to take you back in time we are talking about 2004 to 2008 is when I did my undergrad the climate challenge was just becoming sort of known in the world and not much as much in India but there was a lot of there's a clean tech 1.0 sort of was building up in the US and that is what initially piqued my interest in this sector because it was the one place where I, fe- I felt as a chemical engineer you could have a meaningful impact on future generations. And so when I finished at IIT, uh, my interest was very much on being on participating in clean tech 1.0. So that's why coming to MIT was a fairly straightforward decision, right? Because a lot of the work that was happening in clean tech 1.0 on the technology side was happening in places like MIT and Stanford and whatnot. 
and at the same time you know MIT is a very special place you get to learn from world class experts in pretty much everything that you are thinking about so just from a learning the intensity of learning there is very high right and that was something i wanted early in my career so uh, were you thinking phd or were you thinking masters get out like what was the plan so i i initially came in to be honest not knowing if i would go all the way and in the first couple of years it became very clear to me that i was not going to spend a career in academia so applied research was more sort of things that i like developing technology pushing it out in the field so if you think of it 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 almost sounds like why would you need a phd anyway if that's your interest so my phd was sort of a little more tailored to solving practical problems coming up with slightly more practical solutions to problems that that we were facing in the climate uh, crisis right so i i sort of tailored my phd to be a little more oriented towards application than just pure fundamental science and that was just phenomenal because you get to see both so the whole spectrum of the problem right from the fundamentals all the way to how would you actually scale this up build this up commercialize it right and that was just seeing that whole pipeline uh, at MIT was phenomenal my advisor happened to have industrial experience as well so it was a very good fit for me as well right and he was also interested and he was practically minded and so th- that was the sort of the rationale uh, when i was at mit i had spent 2 years getting the masters i'm like you know i'm learning a lot i'm learning about a lot of different things across the pipeline uh, it just made sense to go ahead and go off the deep end if you will and uh, mm-hmm. get the phd and you truly get to appreciate the scale of this industry right when right. when you are in these circles and and that that was very enjoyable That's awesome. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But let's go back to the time when you graduated from MIT, like you got your PhD. You joined ExxonMobil and you stayed a few years there. What were the biggest key learnings? And when people think about like ExxonMobil, they're like, okay, they don't seem like climate friendly because they're gas, like traditional terms. But you worked on decarbonization stuff there. So talk about the energy initiatives you took there. So, you know, one thing... Uh... just for a second on the MIT piece right what you are learning in that process with your masters and a phd right in a, in a technical discipline is the ability to go deep and find novel solutions but deploying them at scale requires a very different set of skills right so my intent of going into industry in general was to gain those skills i have an idea on paper and it seems to it seems to work somewhat now let me take it all the way through right so that was the intent of going into industry and and specifically into uh, exxon mobil because they they have a world class research organization back in 2014 that i think they still do to some extent and it was a place for me to just sort of grow and cultivate that skill set right so which is why i joined the more low carbon strategy part of the of the company because there were i mean just like the rest of the world there was also a growing realization that the big energy companies uh, need to play a part right and that was beginning to happen so that's the group i joined solely with the purpose of learning of how you scale things from concept all the way to application and you know this is a a theme that i see repeated over and over in my career that technology is good but it's not the end of your answer it's it's almost the beginning right once you have something that works you have to translate it into a product that solves a real problem it does it economically can be deployed globally right you start seeing all these real life constraints that start coming into picture and you can't just wish them away you have to solve with all those constraints in mind and that's a very special set of skills right um and you the best way to learn those is by actually doing them right in real life not not thinking about them but actually 
going and solving problems with those constraints and just living through that experience so that that lived experience is what i truly gained uh, gained at uh, at exon taking concept all the way to the field so when did you know like uh, that your career at exon mobile has run its course and uh, i'll jump in with the next question like why did you decide to do an mba so i'll say that you you never really know if some if, if you know your career has run its course and i wouldn't characterize it as running its course i think there's a confluence of several factors that was happening right one thing was that i had spent by that time and we were talking about you know around 2020 right is when i left exxon by that time i had spent more than a decade um in the energy industry in different shapes and forms right doing early stage work doing development technology development and deployment right and and the more i spent time in that sector the more i felt that there was a lot more to this than just technology right and it seems very obvious now but at the time it may have felt like a revelation to me that you know there is finance there's policy there is uh, you just need a lot of like bold leadership sometimes to to make these big transitions happen and i was seeing all these things and in my mind i was like am i doing justice to myself you know to my own sort of skills if you will by being where i am can i can i contribute in other ways and so that was sort of the seed of the thought of thinking about leaning out again and at the same time if you look at what was going on in the external world there was again clean tech 1.0 we had learned our lessons from it clean tech or climate tech that the second wave was coming there was a lot of uh, excitement and and energy outside in the world to do something about climate so it just felt like the right time to lean out again uh take a step back and evaluate my own personal goals right and also think about you know how can i put my skills and experience to 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 the best use and you know i'll just sort of not to get too philosophical but you have to think about the the kpis of your life every now and then right so early on in your career it's very easy to just go after when you don't know anything else you're like oh, i'll just maximize dollars i'll maximize this that right but over time those kpis plateau out right like the marginal return on those kpis becomes uh, somewhat limited and you have to start balancing unidimensional view of a career and that you know at by that time i was over 30 anyway so it just made it and that my daughter was already born so there was a lot of things going on uh, in my mind which led me to sort of reevaluate and and the decision to leave was not because i had something that at exon which made me leave it was something that i really wanted to do differently about my own career that was that accelerated that uh, that thinking and and uh, it just made sense to to step out again yeah no that's that's definitely insightful and i think um, you said something which is i want to follow up on so you said you are over 30 you had a daughter um obviously when you're coming from india it's not just your decision to do anything you have to convince your family your parents your relatives and so on so who did you have to do a communication with like oh i'm going to do an mba i've been here for like almost 10 years or up um how was this conversation like like were they thinking like another 2 years <laughs> are you crazy there's definitely a bit of that you know and you you can't i mean i i sympathize with their position they're like you know you've spent all these years you know gaining skills you're in you're in a good job in a good company and all that so again i i think it comes down to how you frame these conversations right for me the conversation was not about what i'd done in the past and what or what i was doing today for me that conversation was more about what will i do in the future right and that's a very different kind of narrative right it's not about oh, i've done fabulous things in the past so i should just keep doing them in the future right the, the past is not the answer to 
to the future it's a means to getting to a better future so for me those were the conversations and obviously there was a lot of i'm i'm immensely lucky that our family which which will almost to the point of being dangerous to them like they will just say yeah you do what you want we'll do we'll figure it out we'll get behind you and sometimes they make these decisions i'm like are you sure what you are signing up for right um and i'm i'm grateful beyond belief for having a family of that type right and and in this case imagine my wife my daughter my parents um and think of it to add to all of this august 2020 when we started at hps there was something else going on in the world right we were in the middle of a raging not in the middle we were at the beginning of a raging pandemic right so despite all of that the the response from my family was if you think this is the right thing for you to do go do it right and we will we will figure out the rest right and then that made that conversation much easier now obviously there is a financial side to all of this right you're giving up two years of pay you're paying quite a bit right uh hps ain't cheap uh so you you're doing all of that and again you just have to frame this in the right context that is this a sacrifice that we will regret in the future or this will we look back on this and say you know what this is a good decision in the grand scheme of things in the financial model of a 100 year life or 80 year life it was a good decision right and so that that is how we not just financial model by the way i'm making i'm just giving an example in the grand scheme of things was it a good decision and and we felt very strongly that it was okay no that's that's the other source i'm like i um i remember having similar discussions with my partner and my parents so i totally resonate um let's take a step back up just a year back actually um you finished your mba you joining climate tech investing how did that happen yeah so you know if you think of uh, what we are the scale and the magnitude of the challenge that we are looking to solve right so ballpark numbers the population of the earth today emits about 50 billion odd tons of carbon dioxide equivalents into the atmosphere 50 billion tons right uh just to contrast that we as a whole society we create about 2 billion tons of trash and garbage and waste so the 25 times bigger is our carbon waste production the scale of that is so immense that you need many many different things to come together if you have any if you have to have any reasonable shot of solving this right and capital and finance is a huge part of that puzzle right we we just don't get to we haven't talked about it much as a society because for the past 50 years you know when oil and gas and all of that was picking up a lot of these decisions the capital decisions are happening in in big corporations or in governments and all of that but now that we are dealing with this existential crisis those discussions are happening out in the public so so for me the investing side was always a big part of the puzzle and something that i wanted i was curious about and i wanted to participate in it somehow and at the end of the day what gets funded gets built okay so simple fact of life right and the other thing is this area investing especially requires the ability to go deep and to cut across and go go broad right you have to be very very fluid in how you deploy your skills and to me the depth part came sort of naturally given my training and my experience and the breadth part is what i was cultivating towards the time end of my time at at in in the energy industry prior to hps but also while at hps right so what i did like from day one almost was to talk to a lot of people who were familiar with the investing side just to build that investors mindset think about 
how how you learn how to think of like an investor right um and then bringing that framework into climate tech and saying okay how would you think apply that framework in the climate tech space right and just going through those reps um and the more i did that the more i became convinced that this is a place where i can combine my prior experience and my future goals right so this dot lies on that on that curve the project it was there on that trajectory like my past data points the future point where i wanted to be i could see that investing could fit on that line uh, to use an engineering term so that is how i came to that decision that it, this is a good path for me at least for a few years right to gain that perspective how do how are investors thinking about this what are their challenges right and that just makes you a better ecosystem player overall and i was lucky because at hps i got the opportunity to talk to a lot of people who were actually doing this so i worked part time i did a couple of stints part time to again learn by doing not just reading and practicing but actually doing and participating in, in investment decisions with with investing teams so, and then that was an incredibly formative experience right okay and i know you made a great case about like climate tech investing but the audience in this about this podcast who are interested in like general investing also so what is unique about climate tech investing compared to like general investing like if i want to invest in saas based businesses how is it different i think it's uh, the fundamentals of of investing are always risk and reward right so that that part doesn't change right what changes is the nature of the risk and the nature of the reward right and there's this three things that underlie what i'm just saying there's the size and scale of the investments so you know and you you can correct me if i'm wrong i'm, I'm i don't know as much about the saas investing world but the you know the, the cycles are much faster you deploy small checks you see some progress if it if it works you go by you go back deploy some more money and and it grows right this the shorter cycles you learn it's agile you go it that is fundamentally difficult to do when you are talking about you know am i going to build how am i going to build the next power plant that the world will rely on right so is the in the hardware focus what we call tough tech business you need to deploy more cash and the cycles are much longer right and that just fundamentally changes how you quantify and measure and view risk and reward right the, the reward is also i would argue greater because you are literally talking of an of trillions of dollars uh in the energy economy right the energy economy today is goes into the trillions so in the future what you're talking about is something of that scale but again it's long it's a long journey a lot of cash along the road that has to be deployed you need a lot of patience right and and there is a specialization to some extent that you need in some domains which is not common place right today i think over with two or three decades of saas right probably more there's a level of uh, sophistication that has come into the market right people know what to look for to some extent right not not in new areas obviously but this generally good understanding this is climate tech investing is still sort of in its early stages so what what are you looking for what makes sense what doesn't make sense is is these are hard things to to quantify right on day 1 or, or day 2 and just to put this in slightly bigger context the macro world the macro economy that you are operating in also makes a big difference right when we talk about the energy transition and climate tech we are talking about aspects of our life that are deeply deeply personal like the food we eat the car we drive right all of that is on the table to be discussed and so this is not just about investing and thinking about business models and technology you're essentially trying to 
build a world view of what society what will be the societal model in two or three decades or more right and that that is a fundamentally different kind of bet that that you are placing right so and all of this has to come together when you are making these investment decisions so that's what sets it apart and i'm sure there's others which have which have missed yeah no and that makes sense uh, but some of our audience members um, are investing in climate tech but not just from the investing side also from like operating side of things and i know you mentioned something about like trillions and dollars of energy economy uh, i want you to make a case on like why when you are in your young 20s you should join this industry even if it's an operating side or investing side um well so a lot of it comes down to your individual sort of what you're looking for right uh, but let's assume that uh, you're someone in, who's looking for to make uh, decent monetary returns on your career right which all of us aspire to and have an impact right so let me uh, let me just turn that around and say okay you've got a challenge here which is existential right the, the, it, solving it is not optional okay you don't get to walk away from this okay someone has to solve it right so that's point number 1 number 2 given the nature of this industry you are looking at off the order of trillions that will have to flow in over the next few decades if we have to solve this right and if someone wants to challenge the trillions i'm talking order of magnitude even hundreds of billions is a big number and so just that fact can no option got to solve it it's got to take massive amounts of capital that by itself should take care of the lucrative part of your objective function right if you're a young grad and then if you're thinking of impact you are literally solving an existential crisis like you you could be shaping how the future trajectory of mankind on this planet so it's a little hard to think of things that are more impactful than that right i mean i'm i'm at a loss but maybe there are things that are more impactful but there you go you you've got your impact you've got the ability to make pretty decent sort of living uh, and help the species evolve to its next stage of <laughs> of its relationship with energy. So why wouldn't you want to do this? Right? <laughs> so that is at least how I maybe rationalize it too much in my mind, right? But uh, no that makes sense. That makes total sense. Um let's come back to your role. And uh, obviously everyone has a role in which there are parts you enjoy a lot and there are parts you want to avoid. Maybe delegate. <laughs> so tell me about the parts uh, you enjoy a lot and which ones you not so much. So I'll I'll uh, I take a small digression here. So I'm 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 in the investing world, right? So you live and breathe with climate founders, right? Like that is the community that I would I I'd like to think I'm I'm serving, right? So being a climate founder is not an easy job. And I say this from first-hand experience. My wife is a climate founder. At the end of HPS, we made a very deliberate decision to to move come back here to Boston and sort of devote our careers in some shape or form to to climate right so she decided to go down the entrepreneurship path so she's a founder i chose to to go down the investing path so i've seen you know over the past few months the, the trials and tribulations of being a founder it's not easy and what also in, it increases your respect immensely for that community seeing it first time it's a very different breed of people right i cannot think of a more resourceful group of people to to learn from so honestly that talking to founders learning about how they're thinking about problems their own solutions their place in the world that is easily the most enjoyable part of my job i i just get to learn so much not just like from 
a technical and business point of view you just you get to see people's life philosophies play out in real time in front of you right and and there's a lot to learn there so that i would say is the wonderful part of my job right now the parts that are hard is you know as much as i would like to we are in an industry where you have to say no quite a bit right and sometimes you have very good reasons other times it's just like you are at the end of your bandwidth right and there's only so much you know individual investors can do and that part is really difficult because you that is personally i've seen ideas where i've like you you deserve to keep going right um and i wish i could do more and play a part but and and that's not always possible and just and that part can be heartbreaking sometimes right when you have to when you have to when you come to that realization and then when you convey that it's it's just you, you get to you get to like these people and you get to build a relationship with them over time and then that that part is difficult right and and i think that brings me to another point which as much as we are doing now as a community to solve this problem we need to do a lot more right we need to increase the our bandwidth as a community to do more and more and more right and it's on the edge of that bandwidth is where a lot of tough decisions get made uh, and that that's the hard part of, of this job and this is this is true not just for me i'm sure it's true for all vcs for all investors out, out there in this space right that you, you end up saying no to people you who are like i wish i could just keep going okay yeah it's interesting and um i always think about um different ways in which we can contribute and this is definitely something to think about and everyone should think not just the people in the industry yeah no no absolutely um so that brings us to the segment where we talk about contrarian idea so um i'm asking going to ask you about your contrarian idea and i'm thinking um there must be a glaring gap in reversing climate change that is tech can solve but it's not getting enough attention right now it may get enough attention later but which one is it okay so let's think about climate change in a in a very simple way right you know when we're dealing with dollars and cents you know a dollar in 2050 is worth less than a dollar in 2030 right discounting that same logic in my mind applies to carbon okay carbon avoided in 2050 is worth less than carbon avoided in 2030 and that carbon in 2030 is worth less than carbon avoided today right you you have to apply a time value to carbon and i feel that it's easy to say it and it sounds kind of obvious when you say it but doesn't get talked about as much and the reason i say that is because there is and i've spoken to a lot of people about this there is an a sentiment out there that climate change is a problem for countries and companies to solve right like it's so big that as individuals we don't really have much agency maybe to to solve this and and i can see where that thinking comes from and it's so overwhelming that you feel oh, what could i possibly do to solve it but but i i think that is there's a there's a flaw in that narrative right and i think as individuals we have much more agency than we give ourselves credit to in simple decisions like what do you eat what do you use to go to work like your, your the choices you make on a day to day basis can actually have a pretty decent impact if we all choose to do it right and i think that part is where tech can be a massive enabler you know just like you use i don't know mint or something to manage your finances so your dollar budget we should be doing at least i think it's a good exercise uh, to do something like that on your carbon budget and just be aware of how high or low it is right if it's low great get other people to participate if it's high great you've learned something 
go and figure out how you could make it lower again in in a, in a manner that's reasonable and that suits your circumstances right so follow up on this so do you think it's is it relatively easy to estimate my carbon uses and even if it's not a true estimate it doesn't matter because estimate is fine <laughs> i would say i mean the 80 20 rule should be applied on steroids on this one right it's not it's not the i always get this wrong precision versus accuracy but it's not how many decimals you have on your estimate it's about does it have three digits or two digits right i mean that's the level if you can get to that level it's a good start and it's more important to be aware of it and and at least keep it at the back of your mind when you're making choices right um i think that's a good starting point that will get you to get to refine it it's it's like your we weren't born counting steps right that now we have learned to count our steps and we use that as a metric that we track right it's something like that just get into the habit of being aware of it and i think that's where you can i think as individuals we can make quite a dent in in, in this crisis um so that um i have another segment it's called this or that and i want you to make a case um so i'll ask you one single question and i want you to hold on to one position so the question is should we focus exclusively on reversing climate change right now on earth or should we focus more on finding a more suitable planet right you can only pick one oh man that's a tough one well i'm going to stick with finding a solution on earth okay and then the reasons for that are i think they're pretty straightforward but i think pretty sure elon musk will challenge uh, any all of these assumptions we have not I think we have time to solve this. Right so before we give up on on this big beautiful planet we should give ourselves the chance to solve this while we are here. And we we've made progress. We are making progress uh today in 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 getting there. Uh, we definitely need more speed and scale to solve this. It's it's not going to be easy. But neither is it going to be easy to find another world. So I would rather deal with we can build and scale and deploy on on our on this planet and i'll i'll try i'll try and do better next time but that's a that's a it's an interesting question no this no i i think if i and obviously i don't have that much knowledge about climate i guess you have but intuitively i would say the save the planet because this is what we are familiar with we are what used to it and we don't know what's out there and we have been trying for so long so yeah Um, I mean, I mean, if I mean, not to eat too much time into it, right? No, no, go for it. As overwhelming as as this crisis seems, right? It's important to know we have gone through energy transitions in the past. Okay, we when we started off, we used to collect wood, right? We went from wood to coal, then we went from coal to oil and gas, right? And now we are seeing renewables are, are catching up quite a bit. We have done transitions in the past. Transitioning is something that this society and this species knows how to do. what we are up against here is the scale the speed of how fast we have to navigate this next transition right because there's a ticking is it there's a time uh, aspect to it is it is it hard absolutely is it impossible i would like to say no right it's it's a matter of collective responsibility collective accountability and collective action which we are capable of will we execute on it is it will play out in the next few decades that's fair yeah So we had two more segments to go. Um last segment is obviously audience question. But the first before that we have a personal segment. So if you could go back in time, what would you change about your career? 
so i i think i've made the case here that i'm i'm extremely lucky on the personal side of things right to have a family that has supported every whimsical decision i've made in my in my career um i would also count myself very fortunate to have sort of by accident stumbled into a profession which has a role to play in one of the biggest crises of our times that doesn't always happen and i didn't pick it so i can't claim any credit for having the foresight to pick chemical engineering i had none of it so one of my professors at hps there's a classic phrase that he would coin is that one should learn how to cooperate with the inevitable and i completely agree with that that way of thinking that when you know something is happening adapt right and 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 make the best of it which is something i live by i would just offer an addendum to that is you should allow for serendipity and those uh, unexpected collisions to to play a role as well because they, they can take you in directions which you would your your rational logical mind would never take you right uh and early on in my career I, i i can safely say i was like really planning everything to the hilt like oh i'm going to do this this month this the next month i'm going to do this and you know how you are like get super uh, analytical about how you want to plan your career and i think by doing that you leave very little room for chance and serendipity to to play a role right um and i would say going back i would that's one thing i would change is be explore a little more uh and while still staying staying in the same domain right but there's just so much to do that uh, i i feel that uh, sometimes we tie ourselves down into very specific sort of like this is my area this is my, not my area those kinds of things i think those narratives are sort of more self imposed than anything um uh, I, i would explore more right maybe you know bring in purpose and and passion a little earlier in the conversation um my career which which you know I didn't quite do as, as much as I should have no oh, i really like your random i think uh, i don't know if your professor same as mine but uh, we had a similar story she used to say that uh, good accidents happen to people who are looking for it no no very similar very similar yeah. yes um so next question i have is i know you have a daughter and we have met and uh, what is your parenting philosophy like what are you trying to teach her what is two to three things you want her to abide by well so uh, we tried to keep it simple <laughs> in our in our household um like as as a family one of the core beliefs that that we've always had is that at the end of the day the foundation of a of a good rewarding life is values and morals right so those are non negotiable and then they lay the foundation of no matter what you do right um and so we try and focus on that as much as possible right the children that and my daughter is 5 right at this early in these early few years they are they are more perceptive than we give them credit for and their world view is sort of built very early on i feel you know like how they react to situations and all of that is built very early on so we try and to the best of our ability uh focus on those values morals and principles rather than the specific action that she should take in a specific situation right we're like i try not to be prescriptive like go do this and like think about what you could do and here are some principles that i think you should follow and then figure out what you think is the right course of action now that is asking too much of a five year old i admit that but but at, you you at least got to get started somewhere um and, and the one thing i we feel very strongly about is when i grew up right there was a lot of focus on on functional skills very early on right like oh you got to think of math science because it's a different country right and you you're more familiar with this as well right that 
there's a lot of emphasis early on in career what career are you going to build and and, and that's very natural I, i feel that with with Lisa, with our daughter we try and make it more about life skills than functional skills right so grit persistence you know being able to articulate how you're feeling you know those things are are important life skills to have early on and not grow them later on when you realize oops i i need all of these too no that's that's super helpful and i'm going to take some of it back to my daughter who is very young right now <laughs> so uh one last thing on the personal segment is um this is more like a hypothetical question on um if you could have a a dinner with any historical figure living or dead who would you choose and why okay what well, one of the things we we don't quite know as a species is that if you go back 100 years the defining challenge the existential crisis of the early 1900s was how would we feed the world population because we needed fertilizers and the only place we could get fertilizers was this little bird poop that we would go and mine off the coast of the ocean this little bird poop that we were mining you are going to run out so the concern was how do we feed the billions that we are adding to the planet that was the defining problem of our of, the, of 100 years back and it's the one thing that almost no one knows or talks about like one of the biggest inventions of the 20th century was a process to take nitrogen out of the air and convert it to fertilizer and that came synthetic fertilizers then became the bedrock of how we fed the growing world population to the point where we are now at 8 billion one of the people who did that was a guy called Karl Bosch he was in germany he almost single handedly took this invention from the lab and took it all the way to the field to the point where he just literally globally uh, this technology got deployed everywhere uh, to make fertilizers so and this guy did it single handedly he did it in the backdrop of some pretty catastrophic events of the 20th century right so I have a lot of immense uh, respect for what he did not just technically but also the backdrop in which he did it and you know there were his his personal story itself is a bit tragic as well but and I there's a book that I've read about him and and if there's one person I would love to sit down and just chat for hours about their life experience it would be Karl Bosch so sorry long-winded answer but no no that makes sense but I'm curious on um like you you find him you get him on a table what is the first thing you will ask <laughs> It's a long list of those questions, but uh, I'll not bore you with the technical questions. But I'll say, no, I will ask the one thing I'm really curious about: what was the one personality trait that he thinks he relied on the most to do what he did? Right, and I don't know what he'll say, obviously, but we have a view of what personality traits or what makes good leaders, and then when you go and talk to good leaders, it sometimes surprises you with the answer they give you. I would start there. and then i would get into my technical questions <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense uh, so we are almost at the end of our uh, yeah. podcast recording and um, we have an audience question hello beta you have reached so far from where you have started you have accomplished so much in your life not only professionally but personally also You have been a very loving son, caring husband, and most importantly, very capable and loving father. Me and Papu, we are very proud of you. 
and i just wanted to ask you that now after accomplishing so much what is one thing that you are the most proud of <laughs> but uh, highly unexpected but uh, i'm not the kind of guy who tends to think about what i'm proud of and what i'm not i i i maybe i should but i'm not i tend to be very much about okay what am i doing tomorrow right uh, for some reason what i've done yesterday is never enough which is but uh, if i look back now or right now in this instant right i think i'm just proud of where i started and where i am i mean if you go back to december 6 1986 i'm giving away my age here but guy born in alton i doubt how many people would 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 have seen me come I'm not just not bragging I'm just saying it it's a very very unexpected outcome right and uh, I'm proud not just for it is going through this journey but I'm also proud for of, of the the relationships the friendships that I've built along and and honestly that's the reason that I'm even here talking to you uh, and I honestly I don't think I've done enough in my career yet to to be to say I'm proud of anything one specific accomplishment I think at the end of the day we are the Uh, superposition of the friendships and relationships that we collect that we grow and i'm i'm immensely proud of of the people who i get to call my my family and friends they make me who i am despite all my obvious flaws that was a great answer i think honestly i i resonate with a lot like i come from varanasi so small town people don't even leave up um, most of my relatives are still in varanasi and and obviously i haven't achieved anything like anything to be proud of but like how far i have come is what we is what is the metric right no no and you know and it's, it's in the in the background of of you know family you know my my dad grew up in abject poverty right like he's yeah. a 10th of 10 siblings so even for him and in my in my extended family it's almost uh, it's bizarre almost right to some extent um at the same time they are proud they, they are very proud of, of my and and my family's uh, accomplishments so we just hope to keep up the the good work right and make sure that we continue to make them proud i think there's one thing i'm that's scared of is letting people letting my close ones down right but abrit i would say uh we as your friends are very proud of what you have done Thank and you. when i was thinking of people to bring on the podcast you were definitely in my top 3 picks like i was thinking the same day like who should i bring who should uh, has the experience both in terms of life and professional who can give advice or uh, be very philosophical about it but also very funny about it and your name obviously came so great Thank job you. today i think uh, we have got some really good nuggets of advice for people who are in their early 20s so thank you so much and uh have a good uh weekend year whatever yes no no thank you no it was a pleasure and and i i truly cherish your friendship here course so thank you for having me i hope i hope there's some useful advice but <laughs> but we'll find out <laughs> yeah we'll find <laughs> thank you all right